I'm Megan Hale, and you're listening to The Enoughness Revolution, a feel-good podcast on creating joy in life, work, and love. Join me every Monday and Thursday for practical tools that speak to the soul to create a life you love. It's Transformational Thursday, everyone, and I'm so excited to be welcoming my next guest to the show. We're talking about a topic that we have never discussed on the Enoughness Revolution, so I'm so honored for him to come and share his expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Glenn Livingston, who is a veteran psychologist and longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm, which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. Dr. Glenn's work, theories, and research have been published in major periodicals. Disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer the overweight and or food-obsessed male, Dr. Livingston spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Most importantly, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. Today, we're going to be talking about his new book, Never Binge Again, which is going to be an amazing resource for you. He's actually giving it to you for free on his website, so definitely make sure you check out the the show notes for all of the links to connect with him. There's an amazing coaching program that accompanies the book that you'll definitely want to check out if you're experiencing binging, overeating, feeling like you're food obsessed, there's help for you out there. So let's get into our amazing conversation. He's sharing so much wisdom with you today. Here is Dr. Livingston. Welcome back to the Enoughness Revolution, everyone. I am so excited to welcome my next guest, Dr. Glenn Livingston. He is the author of Never Binge Again. I am so excited to have you on, Glenn, and talk about how enoughness really correlates to overeating, your own journey with this, and how you've come to do this work. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a delight to work with you. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. So where I'd really like to begin is hearing from you about how this concept of enoughness really ties into overeating and our relationship with food? You know, um, someone in the weight loss field that I really respect, Carol Munter, who has a totally different philosophy than mine, but she pointed out that it's very difficult to keep binging or keep overeating if you're not yelling at yourself. Mm. And, and what tends to happen, I, I think if you read the book, you'll, you'll see that I think about the process of overcoming overeating as, as arresting this destructive inner voice inside of you. And that destructive inner voice, after you make a mistake, wants to beat you down um, for the purpose of making you feel weak enough that you'll keep binging and binging and binging. Mm. And so it's really critical that if people find themselves in the middle of a binge, that they kind of step back and say, whoa, I I always use the present moment to be healthy. Um, And I don't want to sound like the Saturday Night Live go, this is I'm I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh, (laughs) but, but, you know, if, if, you, if you accidentally chip a tooth, you're not supposed to go grab a hammer and bang the rest of them out. Um, if you accidentally hot, touch a hot stove, you're supposed to feel pain for a moment and then figure out how do you touch the hot stove, how are you not going to do it again, and then forget about it. You're not supposed to say, I'm such an idiot, I touched that stove, I can't help myself, I'm going to touch more hot stoves in the future and perseverate, yeah. perseverate, and perseverate. Um, you're supposed to just learn from the mistake and that's it. There's no purpose to the ongoing guilt and shame, unless you have a plan to keep doing it. 
That's the mm -hmm. only purpose to continue feeling guilty. But if you're committed to your goals, you're committed to being healthy, okay, so you're, you're a fallible human being, you made a mistake, you had a plan, you were practicing the plan, but now it's time for the big leagues and you get up and you do it again. Yeah, no, so. I love that. I think it's so important to interrupt that self-talk or really kind of the self-berating that mm -hmm. happens when we make a mistake. Right, and people's experience with that self-castigation is the reason that they're frightened to make commitments. Mm. Um, you know, and so we have this idea in our culture of progress, not perfection, and it's not really possible to make a commitment to a food rule. You should only have a guideline. You know, I avoid chocolate 90% of the time or something like that. Not that anybody has to avoid chocolate. I, I do <laughs> because I, I'm, my sister can take like two squares and fold up the rest of the bar and put it back in the, in the, in the pocketbook. And I don't know what's wrong with that woman, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would need three bars if I had two squares. So I'm just a guy that none is easier than some. Right. some so I have a rule for myself. I never eat chocolate. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a kind of a concrete rule. And because it's a concrete rule, I can hear that destructive inner voice in my, in my head that says, you know, chocolate comes from cocoa beans and cocoa beans come from a plant and therefore chocolate is a vegetable, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's a destructive inner voice. And because I have that rule, I can follow it. But the people are frightened to make rules because they're frightened of the self-castigation of not being enough of constantly beating themselves up afterwards. Mm -hmm. But what I find tends to work with overeating. See, I find you can't really love yourself then paradoxically. It, it's a little bit more like capturing and caging a rabbit animal <laughs> uh, for, for people like me, for other people, maybe they can love themselves. And for people like me who've really been out of control, I, I find you can't really love yourself stand up I'll explain a little why more um you really kind of need these rules you need to be able to listen for that destructive inner voice and then ignore it um and so the analogy i give people is if you were an olympic archer what you would do is you would you would aim for the bullseye i'm not pointing at you um you you would aim for the bullseye with every ounce of your being yeah and you'd want to purge all the doubt and insecurity from your mind and you'd just be thinking about the bullseye at the moment that you were aiming aiming and when you knew that you were 100 percent focused on that bullseye you would let go. Mm -hmm. Now, if you happen to miss, you wouldn't take all the arrows and shoot them off to the side, right? Mm -hmm. You would get up and you would do it again. What that does is it, it lets you purge your mind of doubt and insecurity and use all of your energy to focus on the goal. Mm -hmm. and, and so what I tell people is that it's possible to be perfectly committed, like that archer is to the, to the bullseye, all the while knowing that you're not perfect. Just like um, you could tell your three-year-old child, you can never go out in the street by yourself. You can never cross the street by yourself. And he says, could I do it tomorrow? Could I do it next year? You say, no, never, ever, ever. Because that little child is too little to understand the concept of, well, when you're eight years old, you'll you know, be able to look both ways and we'll practice it together and you'll be able to do it. So there's this adult part of you that knows you can change things. Yeah. Um, but right now we're aiming for this bullseye with 100% determination. So we make a 100% rule and we find ourselves perfectly committed, even though we know we're not perfect, even though we're willing to forgive ourselves and use the present moment to be healthy if we need to get up again. And so it all kind of ties back to, um, to really feel like you're enough. You need to treat yourself with kindness and compassion totally. and a, a willingness to make these commitments so that you can feel like you're a master of your impulses so that you can create the, um, create the, the health goals and fitness goals that you really want to accomplish without, um, you know, smacking yourself in the head with a spatula or, or thinking <laughs> you're a horrible person. So I, I really, really love this concept. If you can be perfectly committed, knowing that you aren't perfect, mm -hmm. it really gives yourself room for human error and to understand that even if you are totally 100% committed, you're not going to hit that bullseye every single time. 
Right. But that does not give you full reign permission or even a need to go and shoot all of your arrows, arrows everywhere else. Right. So I would love to hear from you what uh, kindness and compassion, what that actually sounds like in your self-talk. Because I think a lot of times, you know, in the self-help world, we're taught, we, we're taught to speak kindly to ourselves, speak more compassionately to ourselves. But what does that really sound like in action for you? Um, for me personally, and I, I was... I'm not just a psychologist. I was a formerly obese person with triglycerides around 1100 and mm. um, many doctors telling me I was going to die soon. And I was 65 pounds heavier and I was totally out of shape. And um, so I, there is no eating behavior that people listening have engaged in that I probably haven't done. I, I've yeah. eaten out of, out of the garbage. I've eaten off of the floor. I've had two whole pizzas. It's a wonder that I didn't eat the box. I've, 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 I've done all of that. Um, in the early days, I thought I was beyond help. I, mm. I searched for help in psychology because I'm a psychologist. And I come from a family of 17 psychologists and psychotherapists and counselors. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of Dr. Livingston's in my <laughs> <laughs> and, and you really don't want to be at my family reunion. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Um, I don't know anything about fixing things around the house, by the way, or the apartment. I, I can ask things how they feel, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I, I looked for help in psychology, but I... I learned a little bit about being more compassionate to myself in psychology, but I found the help in a very much more practical technique we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. The question is, what, what does compassion look to me, like to me personally? Um, rather than telling myself I'm going to get fatter and fatter, rather than telling myself I'm no, never going to be handsome again, rather than telling myself that um, I'm out of control and probably going to die when I'm 40 like all the doctors say, and... Um, I'm an irresponsible psychologist because I'm sitting here and working with a suicidal patient while I'm thinking about when I can get the next pizza. Mm -hmm. um, rather than talking to myself like that, I would focus on retrospectively after mistakes. I would focus on the progress that I've made. Oh, um, good. I had only one pizza rather than two pizzas. Um, I had a blender full of leafy greens after I had the pizza to help it go down better. Mm -hmm. um, I went and I read this other book about nutrition that helped me understand things better. And I would, I would focus on the positive things that I did do rather than continuing to beat myself up. That, that's a lot of what it looks like for me. Um, I also do try to understand what legitimate need, what authentic need I wasn't meeting beforehand. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't believe that emotional needs cause a binge. I think that emotional needs cause the urge to binge, and then there's an intervening variable of this crazy voice in the back of your head, which you can control. So I don't think you have to work out all of your emotional conflicts and figure out why your mama and your papa didn't love you enough <laughs> before, you could, before you can stop eating, right? But, but I do believe that there's a strong soulful correlation between um, binging and emotional conflicts between the particular things that people binge on and emotional conflicts. I actually funded a 40,000 person study way back when, when clicks were cheap on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I figured out things like people like me who couldn't control themselves with chocolate, they tended to have a lot of loneliness and heartbreak in their life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to give you an example, I mean, I was having some trouble in my marriage at the time and I wound up divorced later on, but, but um, I went and I talked to my mom about that when I saw the strong correlation in the, in the study. And I said, does this make sense to you from my upbringing in any way? She said, well, actually it does. Because when you were a toddler, um, your dad was in the army. He was a captain in the army. We were terrified he was going to go to Vietnam. I was always pre preoccupied with the idea of that, giving away my age a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, he was going to go to Vietnam. Um, and and my, her dad, my grandfather, um, had disappeared. We didn't know where he was for nine months. And mm -hmm. so she was depressed. 
um, she had a hard time giving me what I needed when I was crying or just came to her for a hug or something. So what she did was she actually put a little refrigerator on the floor and she put chocolate Bosco syrup in there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also giving my away with Bosco syrup because it's not around <laughs> anymore. And she said, go get your Bosco, honey. No, so of course I have a pattern if I feel lonely or heartbroken of, of running through chocolate. And I had this big light bulb in my head. Um, and I thought, I thought I was going to win the Nobel Prize or something because now, now I figured out why people did it on chocolate. And I was going to talk to all my patients and say, you're lonely. That's the problem. You're lonely. You're feeling heartbroken. But there was a voice in my head and in my patients and clients' heads also that would say, you know what, Glenn? You're right. Your, your mama and papa, they didn't love you enough. They left this great big hole inside of you. And until you fill that hole inside of you, you're just going to have to binge yourself on a big hairy chocolate bar. Mm. And, and so my life is better because I did that soulful exploration. I understand myself better. I have more compassion for myself. I have a better relationship with my mom. I have more yeah. compassion for her and what she went through. I'm glad that I did that soulful exploration, but it didn't cure the binging. What worked for me, um, this is a little embarrassing when I, because I know you look at me as a sophisticated psychologist and this multi-million dollar consultant and everything. <laughs> but but um, what, what worked for me was understanding neuroanatomy a little better and then coming up with a technique which is an adaptation from someone else's work that I, that I read. Um, so in neuroanatomy, and is this okay that I go into this here? Absolutely, okay. please. Okay. So I'm bastardizing this for simplification and illustration, but there are basically <laughs> three parts of our neuroanatomy. The brainstem, or the lizard brain, is what evolved very early um, on, hundreds of millions of years ago. Mm -hmm. And lizards, when they see a stimulus in the environment, that they figure out, do I eat it, do I meet with it, or do I kill it? Mm -hmm. Do I eat it, do I mate with it, or do I kill it? This is the seat of addiction. This is the seat of overeating, this is the thing that overrides your best laid plans and gets you to break that diet that you made on Monday morning. Eat, mate, or kill. No considerations of love, no considerations of soulfulness, no considerations of long-term goals. Eat, mate, or kill. Then there's the mammalian brain, the limbic system, which, um, again, bastardizing the function, but is superior to the lizard brain and grew on top of it over millions of years. And the, the mammalian brain pur brain's purpose is to delay... Um, essentially delay the lizard brain and say, well, wait a minute, is this good for the tribe? Is this good for um, the herd? Is this good for my mate and my family? And so it's kind of the seed of emotion and um, it, it, it can slow down the lizard brain and say, well, let's figure out, is, is this okay for it, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's the logical brain. Then there's the neocortex, which is where a lot of what we think of as us lives, the, um, the long-term goals, aspirations, soulfulness, spirituality, music, art, everything we think of as human. This is very animal. And even yes. the mammalian brain is still animal, but th this is human. This is where, where relationships and everything that's important really lives. And what happens in most of our culture is we're being taught to love ourselves then. And if you think about it, if you're standing at Starbucks and there's that chocolate bar on the counter and this thing's going, chocolates and vegetables, chocolates and vegetables, chocolates and vegetables. <laughs> if your paradigm is oh my God, I, ha I have to love myself more. This is signaling a real need. What happens is all this goes away and then you're left with a lizard brain and it just rides roughshod through. says, you're right, chocolate's a vegetable. Poor baby, let's get you some chocolate. Mm -hmm. right? That's what happens and you forget everything else. And people will say they were unconscious. They, they're not really unconscious. When people tell me about a binge, I can always walk them through all the details and help them restore what, ha what, what really would control it. But... They feel like they're unconscious. This takes over and you kind of don't know when this is going to come back. Mm -hmm. uh, and so 
what I said was, and I, I got this from um, a guy who works with more black and white addictions. I had to make a lot of modifications for food because you have to take the lion out of the cage three times a day and walk it around the block. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You have to eat. <laughs> you have to eat. But you, you, could, you could quit alcohol or drugs or mm-hmm. cigarettes entirely. Um, but essentially, he was saying you have to cultivate a sense of distaste, almost disgust. For mm. Because what you want to do is wake up at the moment of impulse. Mm. So this is the embarrassing part. What I personally did um, was I said, okay, well, this is my pig. This is my inner pig. Mm. The, thing, the things that it is going after are pig slop, and the things that it says are pig squeal. Mm. When, when it says chocolate is a vegetable, I go, pig squeal. I don't, I don't listen to farm animals tell me what to eat, and I don't eat pig slop, and I don't eat out of a pig's trough. Mm-hmm. And as crazy as that sounds, I can't believe that that's what worked, but as crazy as that sounds that started giving me those extra microseconds to make a decision at the moment of impulse. And that would help thousands of other people do that also. So I recommend that people cultivate a sense of distaste. Now it's important to know you're not calling yourself a pig at this time. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is dealing with an internal organ. And if you don't like the pig analogy, I I think real pigs in the world are very sweet animals and they actually need our help. I'm I'm a vegan. Um, I think they need our help. They need to be saved. But as a construct, we don't eat, we don't need pig slop. We don't need out of a pig's trough. That really works. Yeah. If you don't like that, a lot of women, women call it their inner B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. Their self-saboteur, their fat-thinking self, whatever you want to call it, whatever gives you a little sense of distaste. Don't make it a pet. Don't give it a human name. Um, make it something that you feel a sense of distaste for. And that wakes you up at the moment of impulse. The rest of the game is just figuring out how do you define pig slop versus healthy food? What are the rules that you are going to work on to draw those lines in the sand. We can talk about more how to do that if you want to, but mm-hmm. I'll pause there since I'm talking up a storm and you've just been nodding. No. Yeah. Well, there's uh, several parts of your story that I think are really important. First of all, that you going back and doing a lot of the soulful healing, the spiritual work of learning how to fill those voids, that loneliness, that depression. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued that this on its own was still deeply satisfying but it was also not the, the whole solution to ending the binging. Right. There still had to be a whole other process that approached that. Exactly. And the second part that I really love about your story, especially, is that this um, kind of creating this distaste or, or forming like a negative association with certain foods um, is kind of what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. How that creates that longer period of window, which is really just a few seconds, mm-hmm. but how those few seconds can completely transform what we do, whether we ride out that impulse or whether we choose a healthier response for ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. oftentimes when we're trying to create change, we think that there has to be this very big shift, Right. but we're just talking about a few seconds adding on to this whole kind of process of mm-hmm. where we can really intervene and make a lot of big change for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes all the difference in the world. It really mm-hmm. can't in those few seconds. Yeah. Because you remember who you are. It, 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 it's, yeah. It's actually kind of a commitment of character if you think about it when I say, I never eat chocolate on the, on, I never eat chocolate during weekdays. You, you can have rules that are conditional also. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're really saying is, I'm the kind of person who never eats chocolate during the week. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, Sartre said that we could remake ourselves every day that we got up. We can choose to remake ourselves. And I think that's absolutely true. And nowhere is it more true than f- with food. You start with one trigger food, one trigger behavior. You make a rule for it. And then you practice that discipline. Um, and if you make a mistake, you're compassionate to yourself and you practice the discipline again. But 
you're defining the person that you're becoming, you're defining the person that you, you really want to be. I love that. Now, the one piece that I really want to dig in here a little bit more is when we experience a high volume of stress in our lives, I know this is perfect time for us to slip back into old patterns, especially self-damaging patterns. Mm -hmm. So have you found that you've had to build in some other tools to help manage stress? So it decreases the likelihood of binging? Well, um, I got divorced this year. Mm. I moved three times. Um, I flew across the country. My book became a bestseller. Um, I'm managing all these contracts and publishers and this has been the most stressful period of my life. Mm. I had, I had to have a talk with my pig and tell him that, tell it that um, I was willing to go through any degree of discomfort and stick to my plan because if you have six problems and then you binge, then you have seven problems. You have six problems and then you overeat, then you have seven problems. Um, that said, stress management is important. It's, I, I, I don't like to give people the notion that they have to eat if they feel stressed because um, that goes along with the notion that they're eating only for comfort. And mm. the truth is that in our society, the things that people overeat, they're not eating just for comfort. They're eating to get a little high with food. The, um, you know, I, I used to consult for big food and big pharma and things like that. I kind of wish I didn't now in my life, but I know things because of that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I know is that there's a lot of money in squeezing as many, um, as much sugar, fat, excitotoxins, artificial sweeteners, um, things that are not necessarily healthy for you into a small space, getting it out for a reasonably cheap price, spending billions of dollars on advertising, billions of dollars on packaging it to look healthy. Um, The advertising industry knows that advertising works best when people think it doesn't work. Everybody thinks that advertising doesn't work on them. The advertising industry is not out there telling you that advertising works really well because they want you to keep thinking that it doesn't work. It does work. Mm. Um, And so we've got like 7,000 messages a year beamed us at us about food. Maybe one or two of them are about fruit and vegetables. And it's usually about some kind of concentrated fruit and vegetables at that. So so, um, these hyper palatable foods, which didn't exist on the savanna, they didn't exist in the tropics where we evolved. They're things that our human physiology is not really adapted to to live with. They're pushing our our evolutionary buttons and they make us high. Mm -hmm. And if you look at some of the really old studies, um, like I said, I'm a vegan, I don't believe in animal studies, but these are done on animals. There's an old set of studies with rats in the the 50s, I think it was Olds and Milner, I forget the name of the authors, but they did this whole series of studies where they implanted electrodes in the rat's pleasure centers. Maybe you know, maybe you know these studies. Um, I'll say it anyway. The, the, um, in the studies, what they found was that if they connected those electrodes to a lever so that the rats could stimulate themselves, they did it thousands of times per hour. That's all they wanted to do. Then they started to figure out what would they choose self-stimulation over. And it turns out they choose it over all forms of self-care. They would choose mm. it over eating, over drinking. Pregnant mothers would choose it over nursing their pups. Um, rats would cross electrical barriers and withstand painful shocks to get to the... So what you really have is a demonstration that when the mammalian brain is artificially stimulated with pleasure, that it's programmed to go for that pleasure rather than all the self-care and the lex self-care. It's getting high. It's, it's yeah. an addiction. And these hyperpalatable foods that are created in industry, they get you high. 
um, which is not to say you can't enjoy them a little bit if you want to. Um, there are certain people typically have trouble with one or two foods and not with others. And so if there's some you don't have trouble with and you want to enjoy it, if you're willing to pay the consequences, that's totally okay. And, you know, I, I think we fought wars for our freedom in this country. And if you want to live a little bit more of a life is fast and then you die lifestyle, that's totally okay. Yeah. Um, I, I personally choose the slower route because I want to be here as long as I can. Um, but, but when you say that I'm just eating for comfort, you're neglecting the part that's really eating to get high. And if you start recognizing that you're eating to get high with food, it becomes dystonic. It becomes something you don't want to do. Mm -hmm. if, you start if you start saying, I'm eating for comfort, what you're saying is, poor little piggy. My, my little piggy needs some food now. It's so unhappy. It's so stressed. But I want you to be comfortable. I, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a bastard, right? I, I want you to be, excuse my language. <laughs> I, 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 I want you to be, I want you to take care of stress. I want you to practice mindfulness. I want you to learn how to meditate. I want you to exercise and do yoga and take a bath and, you know, call your friends and get hugs and love your kids and yes. all those great things that we're supposed to do in our life. I want you to do that. I do that. But I don't want you to, um, I don't want you to fool yourself into thinking that you're only eating for comfort. You're eating to get high with food. Mm. Just like have, you, have you noticed on your journey? Because I, I have a feeling when I immediately say this, there's going to be a negative connotation, but I kind of want to approach it from the positive side of eating for pleasure, mm -hmm. like reframing what is actually pleasurable for you and approaching food in that way. Well, yes, exactly. And what, what um, Doug Graham says, if you control the quality of your food, the quantity takes care of itself. Mm. So What's happened to me, and I don't typically tell people exactly how we eat because it's scary for people, and my philosophy is diet agnostic, so I, I work with low-carb people, I work with high-carb people, um, I work with people who want to eat the industrial foods, I work with people who want to get off them. It, it's, it's diet agnostic, you define your own plan and you, you use this technique to, to stick to it. But what's happened for me, as I've eliminated pig slop from my diet, mm -hmm. more and more things started to seem like pig slop. Mm. And, and what I realized was that my survival drive had been hijacked, just like mm. those rats, that these industrial foods had hijacked my survival drive. And underneath every craving for pig slop was, was some type of craving for a natural, healthy food. And so as crazy as it sounds, I started to crave leafy green vegetables. Mm. Um, I discovered that when I was looking for chocolate, I was feeling low on energy in some way, um, yeah. besides being lonely and all that. And, and so I would... Um, I, I talked to some, I called a lot of different coaches and nutritionists, and one of them said, you know, you could be craving chlorophyll. And so I would take like a half a pound of leafy green vegetables anytime after I binged, and I would drink them all up, and that would make, the, make my system a little more alkaline, and it help kind of the food go down. And then one time I said, maybe I don't want the chocolate, maybe I just want the green vegetables. Mm. And I started to get pleasure from having the green vegetables, or, or um. bananas, or other like whole, fresh, ripe for our natural organic foods. Um, and I take a lot of pleasure in food. I, I know people who say the solution for overeating is to learn to live with less food pleasure, to develop your frustration tolerance and part of maturity involves becoming an adult and it's not all, it's not all a big party. But I actually find life is kind of a big food party. It's just yeah. that I, I party on other healthy things now. Um, I love I, that. Everybody listening is going, is going to say this Fakakta guy is out of his mind. <laughs> I, I'm not going to have a salad instead of a chocolate bar. It's just not going to work. But that's your pig. And, and see, if you start to understand the two-mindedness of addiction, you start to understand mm -hmm. that there's how you feel about it and there's how your, your pig feels about it. And you know that it's appropriate 
that you physiologically have this feeling that your survival is related to the chakra. It's, it's appropriate that you feel like that. It doesn't mean it's true. Feelings aren't facts. And so if you acknowledge that that's what's going on and you have the green vegetables anyway, you'll start to have the experience that it doesn't get you high the way the chocolate does. It's nowhere near as um, pleasurable an experience as a chocolate is, but it's pleasurable enough to kill the craving. Mm. And it's a difference between like in psychotherapy, we know um, there's contentment and then there's mania. There's everyday happiness, but then there's mania, which is very unstable and has a crash afterwards. Yeah. Contentment is something you can maintain for a longer period of time. It's something you can seek and build more and more of in your life. Mm-hmm. Mania, you're going to be chasing the dragon. If you keep chasing the food high, you're going to need more and more chocolate to get it. Yes. It's going to last less and less long. And before you know it, you're going to be trying to find some other food high and dealing with all kinds of physiological effects from it. So I tell people... Um, strive for contentment with food, not necessarily getting high, but contentment is pretty good though. I mean, oh, I, it's so good. And I feel yeah. like our culture almost tells us like contentment is bad. It's like settling or it's mm-hmm. like monotony. And it's like, <laughs> that's totally absurd to me. I think contentment is such a, an amazing goal to strive for and to experience. Like that's where all the good stuff is. Like that's where we get to actually experience pleasure and joy and happiness. Exactly. Contentment is enough, right? To use the theme yes, of your show. Yes, absolutely. Is I, I want to get a t-shirt. Contentment is enough. Let's do it. Let's do Enoughness, it. So. Enoughnessrevolution.com. <laughs> exactly. So I want to hear about your book, Never Binge Again. Tell me everything there is to know about um, why someone should read this book and where they can find it. Okay. Well, first of all, I made it available for free through my website in electronic format if you want it. Wonderful. Okay. Um, it, it is available as, as a paperback on Amazon and all that if you prefer the paperback, but, mm-hmm. but, but there's a charge for that. Um, so at neverbingeagain.com, if you click the big button, the big red button for the reader bonuses and sign up, there's a whole bunch of things you'll get. Uh, we didn't talk a lot about making food rules, but there are some starter food plan starter templates to help you um, see what the rules might look like on any different type of diet um, vegetarian, high carb, low carb, paleo, um, macrobiotic, et cetera, et cetera, bulletproof. What, what, wow. uh, I can't actually do the bulletproof because that's a trademark thing, but something like that. Um, so we have that available. I recorded a whole bunch of coaching sessions with clients because we're talking about it in theory and it's kind of a fun story to hear, but you don't get the gist of how it actually works. And some people are afraid it's a harsh philosophy, but if you hear the coaching sessions, you're going to see it's a very compassionate philosophy. So yeah. I recorded that for people to listen to. Um, the book itself was originally my journal. I, I wrote it as kind of an allegory. You, there's a lot of, there's, the pig has a very large voice in the book because I wanted to expose all the crazy squeals that people are probably hearing. So most people say, oh my God, it's like you're inside my head when yeah. you're, yeah. I, I had no idea everybody else was thinking this. Also, I, I kind of <laughs> thought I was working it out. And I was a partner in a minor publishing company and my, my CEO said, we need a book to publish to prove ourselves. And I, I was fighting him saying, no, I can't do this. This is my personal journal. And I published it. And what do you know? It's a bestseller. But, wow. Uh, so that, that's all available in the book. It's all available for free at neverbingeagain.com. Um, click the big red button and, and you can contact me there also if you need to. Oh, I love that. You know, this interview has been, I think, so enlightening. And I've so enjoyed hearing your story. I know my listeners will as well. This is actually our first interview that I've had talking about binge eating and overeating. And I'm so glad that you came on and you shared your story with us. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to talk to another psychotherapist. Yes, absolutely. So everyone, I'm going to include all of Dr. Livingston's um, information down in the show notes. Definitely go and check out this book, Never Binge Again. I think it's such a unique approach to all of this. And you being so vulnerable and sharing your journal and throughout the book is just amazing. Yeah. So um, yeah, definitely check those out. And I'm going to include all of his social links for you to stay in touch and follow him there. And I will see you in a few days for another Motivational Monday. 